Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian startup ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development, but a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. A Newcastle company like mine, NTP, are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia. Back to the interview. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian startup ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development, but a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. A Newcastle company like mine, NTP, are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia. Back to the interview. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, and welcome to Day One, the podcast that spotlights Australian startups, founders, and the organizations that empower Australian entrepreneurship. We go back to the beginning to tell the story of Australia's most inspiring founders and how they built their companies. You're listening to a special interview series as part of a documentary W2D1 is producing about the history of the Australian startup ecosystem. This episode was conducted by guest host Will Cho. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Australian Startup Series. Our guest today here is Moira Weir. Welcome to the show, Moira. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're currently doing? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so I'm uh, someone who could be considered being Act 3, Jane Fonda calls that, um, over 60, and I've been involved in all sorts of entrepreneurial and innovative things over my life, mainly in the social space and in the economic space. And at the moment, uh, one of the things I'm involved with is I am the founder of the Hen House Co-op, and it's a co-op what we're dedicated to is closing the gender investment gap. And so we all know about the gender pay gap, but in fact, um, the gender investment gap is pretty incredible in the startup world. We've only got 4% of women who get uh, venture capital funding. And uh, you don't get that by mistake, that's uh, by design. So we're trying to redesign and make this revolution completely irresistible. So we're interested in divestment, not just investment. So moving funds away, from things that uh, don't support uh, gender equity and things that will help decolonisation. And uh, yeah, so that's what we're about. And I'm really thrilled to be a part of all of that. I'm here on uh, Ghana country and I just want to acknowledge uh, elders past, present and emerging and that this is land that's never been ceded. So we'd like to pay our attention to that. And I'm currently um, actually in Tandania in Adelaide, the land of the big red kangaroo today.
Moira, it, it's clear that you've got an incredible wealth of experience, as you mentioned in social impact innovation, that spans across government, the private and public sectors, uh, as well as education. What drew you to this space? Well, I started off my professional life as a social worker, and one of the things about social workers is we're really interested in systems, what's working and what's not working for individuals and for whole demographics, places and communities. And so it's inevitable that when something doesn't work, um, as all entrepreneurs, they start to look for what's why isn't it working? What are the problems? And so when you think about things like child protection, disability, homelessness, um, ageing, it's inevitable that um, those problems, we still aren't getting the solutions we need for people. So that leads me to look at what else can we do? What systems can we change to make those things possible? Interesting. So I guess it was a, a, a natural bridge from that problem-focused, solution-focused uh, type of work. Absolutely, yeah. So, and I think, you know, a lot of um, entrepreneurs will be coached into saying, well, please explain your problem. Like, what is it that's not working that you want to fix? And there are so many things that aren't working for our planet and for people right now. We aren't short of um, challenges to be working on. And I think it's often the role of the entrepreneur to help discover that and also to uh, come up with the solutions and innovations that will actually help those things, you know, transition into being better outcomes for all of us. Hmm. What you said just then really piques my interest because it's about this idea that there are just so many things in the world that obviously could be done better and could be fixed. How do you personally decide what to focus on and which social issues that you want to devote your time into? Yeah, great question. Well, for me, it's always been feminism as a big, big driver for me. And one of the basic feminist principles is that the personal is political. And so when we think about what's impacting on your own life, it actually has a systems uh, lens to that. And uh, so I've always um, had a very strong interest in gender and women missing out. Um, one of the very first examples of my own life was, you know, just being a little girl and uh, being encouraged to do certain things and not being encouraged to do other things. And I would always wonder, well, I could do that or I'd like to play with that or I'd like to do this. Well, why am I missing out on those things? Equally, um, my brothers um, would have wanted to do perhaps some of the things I was being encouraged to. So really just unpacking and making visible uh, what the opportunities are. And I think about that from an equity point of view. One of the things I like to encourage people to think about is um, the difference between equality and equity. So equality is when everyone has, um, you know, a pair of shoes to wear, but equity is everyone's got a pair of shoes that actually fits. So that usually requires, um, you know, meeting the gap between the fit and the one that actually uh, that you can wear. I love that analogy. So when would you say that you first got started um, in this whole ecosystem? Uh, I, I think I've always kind of been around um, systems change, um, and but I've moved more into the startup community only because of the way technology has started to unfold. And many of the problems and social solutions that we're looking for do require impact investment. And they also, you know, they're big pieces of social and environmental infrastructure. And they also, you know, some of the new tech is enabling those challenges to come by uh, and help people. So in the last, probably last five to 10 years, in particularly in South Australia, we've got a very strong, um, and it's growing and growing all the time, 
uh, the way social enterprises and social entrepreneurs in particular are being valued and being uh, supported by the whole ecosystem. And equally, startups are looking to the social and environmental spaces for, in, you know, for ideas and also for inspiration. And, you know, if we look at what's getting funded and supported and we're heading into uh, big international conversations about climate, the environmental movement, uh, renewables, startups that are building um, health and biotech and, and in the climate space are really taking the world by storm. That's very interesting. Um, so you mentioned that within the last five to 10 years, it was really, I guess, the, the sort of growth period for the ecosystem in, in South Australia. What was it like before that? If, if you were uh, someone who, who wanted to drive that social impact and, and that change, what sort of support structures were out there for you and who could you turn to? Well, in those days, it was very much in the not-for-profit sector. While there were some commercial and some um, hybrid, if you like, uh, there was very little in the um, straight commercial environment um, and there still isn't as much as there could be and will be in the future. So in those days, it was very much around um, not-for-profits trying to uh, be creative and develop ideas, uh, their ideas into innovation. A lot of that was in things like ageing and housing and disability. And uh, there's always been quite a lot of innovation in those areas, particularly in the disability services where um, new pieces of tech, you know, whether it's been a new innovation for um, mobility for people with, you know, in cars or wheelchairs, uh, so we've always had a bit in that space. But in the olden days, so to speak, it was very much driven by the not-for-profit sector um, just trying to do its thing. And um, some of the commercial initiatives were in the uh, disability and transport areas. Mm, I see. I'd love to get your opinion on social enterprises. It's a bit of a, a buzzword. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, so social enterprise, um, people wonder what that really means. And you know, I guess from my point of view, um, a social enterprise is an enterprise that's doing good and with purpose and uh, can actually align their purpose uh, with uh, a good outcome. So I always say, you know, not-for-profit is also not-for-loss. And if you're really doing good as a social enterprise, there are some external ways that can be verified. So some people will choose to get certification through social traders, which um, has a certain number of you know, you get points according to what it is that you're actually being able to um, deliver and get returned into the business. So there has to be some social outcomes for that. And the other one that's quite well known are B Corps. So in the B Corp, you're trying to do things for planet and purpose and people. And again, you get a certain rating based on or and a classification that you can call yourself a B Corp. So um, those two external validations are often out there for people to say that's how they define themselves as a social enterprise. But a lot of people just use that language and um, to describe the way they do business, which is giving a social outcome, a social return, not just a commercial return. Mm. Do you think that as a nation we, we do enough to support our, our social entrepreneurs? Uh, not yet. <laughs> uh, it's coming. I'm feeling very optimistic. There is certainly a public policy environment um, is growing um, in some states more than others. So Victoria and Queensland and a little bit in New South Wales are certainly, I think, ahead of the game and leading that um, and investing in particular in Victoria, investing, you know, millions and millions of dollars into trying to build the social enterprise sector and to support industry-led and community-led initiatives 
to make the economy, um, you know, more just and equitable. Uh, we've we've got some way to go here in South Australia, but um, there is, you know, there are really good signs on the horizon that this is starting to um, shift. My view is that all enterprises should be um, social enterprises. If you're doing good, you can be doing good for everybody. Mm. And you don't have to just, you know, just focus on your own uh, bottom line. A lot of businesses now are really trying to get their environmental outcomes up and their environmental returns for the work and the things that they're delivering um, and getting their carbon footprint down and all of that. So I really would love to encourage more businesses to also look at the social outcomes that they're doing as well. And, and you know, good outcomes as good social, good economic and good environmental deliverables on the at the other end of the, of the spectrum. You know, when you look at your balance sheet, you should be able to talk about to all three of those. Mm, absolutely. There's, there's no way that, there's no reason really that companies can't focus on all of those aspects. Yeah. And the really good ones are, and that's exciting. And it's, are they really leading the way? And, and the small social entrepreneur who has often been considered a bit of a cottage industry is now starting, they are starting to scale and get more and more support for um, their initiatives. Yeah. So you briefly mentioned that what, what excites you about as a nation we're supporting our social entrepreneurs is some new public policies that are on the horizon as well as um, investment uh, into, into the, the ecosystem. Is that support just purely monetary? Uh, no, I think you're building the culture around that. So one of the best levers I think government's got, and, you know, this is at all levels, local, um, state and federal, um, is their procurement policy. So if you want to procure things, make sure you put in your procurement policies um, some attention, you know, a minimum amount, like 10 or 20% of procurement needs to go to social enterprises. I mean, our state here in South Australia, the Department of Transport have really done that beautifully. They've um, started to look at how they can build into all of their contracts a portion of that for social enterprises, and that's, that's fantastic. You know, I'd like to see more and more of that. So procurement is one lever. Uh, also creating the culture is another one so that you begin to support and talk about and make visible um, those people who are those kind of leaders. So, again, a South Australian example of that is we have the Office of the Chief Entrepreneur here and there's an advisory body, the Entrepreneurship Advisory Board, and I'm a member of that. So that gives me an opportunity to make visible social entrepreneurs and impact invest investors and impact investment and drawing attention to those things. So that's a very a really simple way to start to build some of the cultural infrastructure. And then the third one I would say is supporting um, big movements and uh, national festivals and so that you can showcase these things and people get to see, oh, I can do that or I could support that. So just again with the South Australian example, South Start, which is an incredible national event that we host annually next year, it will be in March. Uh, here in Adelaide and, um, you know, they've just had such fabulous um, pieces of the puzzle making the social enterprises visible. Um, for example, they had all their lanyards made by Youth Inc., which is a youth alternative high school. So that was to support their social enterprises all the way through to getting caterers that uh, are also social enterprises, um, speakers, making sure that a lot of the panels and presenters were going to bring those perspectives as well. So I think that's how you build some of those things. Yeah, that's that's amazing. 
are there any particular jurisdictions around the world that you you would say that's that's the gold standard? Great question. I'm not so sure there's a gold standard, but there are little elements of things that are really great worldwide. You know, I'll often look to the work that's happening in the Netherlands. Um, they've got a, a very strong and old culture around enterprises that are community-based. In fact, they probably wouldn't necessarily call them social enterprises. Um, here in our own country, if we look at First Nations um, communities who have you know, really shared their resources historically. It's, it's just a form of indigenous economics, if you like. And um, I think that there's plenty of lessons we can learn um, from those nations and those cultures here in our own um, jurisdiction. And in the UK, there's been a long, long history of social enterprises, particularly through the co-ops and mutuals movement, where people have come together, uh, whether it was in the early days of having a credit union to support um workers so that they had easy access and return on their own investment back back to them, which I think, you know, all those financial instruments, we just need more and more of those sorts of things. And um, there's been some great examples of that in the UK and also here over time. Mm, That's very interesting. So far, we've been talking about the role of government in supporting this ecosystem. Do you say, would, would you say that there's onus on other aspects of society. So I know something that gets frequently mentioned is um, changing the way that we educate the youth. Yeah. So I think, you know, I don't think governments always follow. They're really leaders. So it's up to us as consumers. So um, I'm quite involved in SHEEO, which is a global movement to support female founders, female entrepreneurs, and on a non-binary people. And we really work hard to make sure that we can be consumers of those products. That's the first thing we can do. We can we can use our consumer dollar to support those businesses. Um, that's always a good place to start. Um, another one is just in terms of uh, our own behaviour, you know, working with communities and people that really can be supportive. So, again, if I'm using the Indigenous space, lots of communities have their own art, arts centres and art leaders and artists and artisans. So if you're visiting those places, you know, buy from them and start to build your own way of understanding and supporting those artists in those communities. So consumer, how you spend your own dollars is a really big important part of that. The other thing is how we build our our own budgets if we're organisations or businesses ourselves. And, you know, giving ourselves some challenges, like let's see if we can spend 20% of our budget on social enterprises what could we do in our own business to hire someone who perhaps hasn't had a chance and needs, you know, is leaving prison or a domestic violence situation or is a young person who's just left school? And then the third thing when you were referring to schools and um, educating young people, I don't think they're the ones we need to educate. Mm. They are always pretty good at coming up with great ideas. We've got some fabulous programs in Australia with young people. As I said, you think here in South Australia has a strong entrepreneurial push We have five high schools in South Australia, which are our entrepreneurship high schools, where the curriculum is particularly geared towards entrepreneurship. So we're really making, trying to help bring that as a a way of doing things. And then there's programs like Young Change Agents, the $20 Boss, that gives you example, you know, shows you how to spend your $20 and, and create a small business. So I think we've got lots of things. We just need to do more and more of them. So before we we briefly touched on this idea that all companies should be social enterprises, why do you think that there is 
I guess for a lack of a better term, hesitancy around wanting to drive that change um, in Australia and I guess for the rest of the world? I think it's because it's hard. <laughs> hmm. um, it requires a lot of creativity. I always say imagination is the only thing we're in short supply. <laughs> and so I do think that um, it's really difficult. It's not easy to do and it does require us to shift not just our mindset but also our some of our systems and um, and this is where I think the startup world can be really helpful in terms of building different kind of tech and algorithms that will privilege and support and build, you know, cover some of those equity gaps. Uh, we've got, you know, instruments now that are helping people with, you know, suicide prevention because AI is built in and that enables people to get to a service faster. So um, I think we're getting there and I'm, I think that the barriers have sometimes not been anything other than um, the hard work that it requires and we what we know is what is our default so we default to what's familiar rather than thinking okay what could we really disrupt here we could actually disrupt a whole lot more things uh, so it's one of my big challenges I say to um, startup founders you know if you really want to disrupt try and disrupt patriarchy or disrupt colonization and how would you build that into your business model mm-hmm. and as a way of being provocative and helping them open up some new ways of thinking and perhaps then coming up with some new innovation that might, uh, you know, set them in the market in a new place. Mm. One of their their biggest criticisms, and, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here, of this social enterprise movement, ESG, and so forth, is just a lack of concrete measures on how we define social good. Do you think that that's a big issue or or do we need some sort of standardization? We briefly mentioned um, companies like B Corp offering that sort of service, but just, I guess, how do we measure good? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. And metrics, we need metrics, and they're still immature to some extent. But we do have, you know, the sustainable development goals, and, and they're universal. So I would, you know, countries, there's thousands of um, data sets behind them already. So that's, I always think, well, if you don't know where to start, start there. Everybody knows what they are and you can measure against those. So that's my, um, you know, entry point, if you like. Um, And then when you want to be much more specific and looking at the outcomes, you need to base that on what the changes that you want to see in the world. So if you are, um, you know, in a housing business and a property manager, you might want to say, well, we would like to provide affordable housing for at least 10% of our um, business. So you just can build that in and that's the bit you measure Mm. because that's the business you're in. You don't have to do everything else. Um, Just start from whatever is true for you and if you're not sure where to start, go to the SDGs as your entry point. Yeah, I I guess it's not really something that should be overcomplicated or or overthought. No, I don't think... And I think metrics people do make them harder than they need to be. If you want to get granular, you can do that and there's no reason why you wouldn't want to improve your whole impact, but you can start somewhere. Mm. Do you have an unpopular opinion about our ecosystem, Moira? So something that you believe is true, but other people may not just agree with you. (laughs) Well, I think that I'm not sure about that. Um, I mean, generally I think we're a pretty generous community, particularly here in South Australia. You know, people really do share well um, and collaborate quite well together. And I think there is often a myth about entrepreneurs being really competitive. And while they might be competitive for their product or their service, 
my experience is that there is incredible generosity. People have been incredibly generous to me and to the Hen House Co-op um, and we're just, you know, babies in babes in the wood when it comes to these sorts of things. But they, there's been a lot of kindness extended to us and um, I know from the CEO network that I'm involved with um, globally, our, one of our principles is radical generosity and I think that we work really well together because of that. So I think sometimes the outside world might see a bunch of, you know, really competitive, aggressive kind of business people, but inside the community I find it a place of great generosity. Mm, that's amazing. Overall, would you say that you're optimistic about the future? Uh, and, and if so, what is it that provides you hope um, for our growth in the future? I'm optimistic that we have all that we need for a really just and equitable future. The worry that I have is that we are in the middle of this giant climate crisis and we need to get to solutions very, very quickly and that will require behavioural change and a shift in some of the systems. But I'm still optimistic even about that because we've got incredible world leaders like Greta and um, I, I don't think we should look to our political leaders but <laughs> I do think we should look to our community leaders who are, you know, really changing the world, literally stopping traffic when I think about the Extinction Rebellion activities this last week all around the world and as we head into COP. So I'm optimistic, yes, and I want us to look to ourselves and to each other rather than the parliament houses or um, heads of other kinds of industries. I think we can. We are the ones that the world's been waiting for. Yeah, that's amazing. If a new social impact entrepreneur founder came to you, Moira, given all your experiences, your mistakes, your wins, what's one piece of advice that you would like to give them to increase their chances of success? I trust them. Trust yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Find friends and dump the ones that cause anxiety. Very simple. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) And lastly, not really a question, but more about just giving you a space uh, to say whatever's on your mind. Our podcast is aiming to reach policymakers, entrepreneurs, uh, investors, educators, everyone across uh, across the board. What would you like to say to them? Well, I'd like to say to investors, please take seriously those of us who are trying to um, shift the conditions that are holding inequity in place and the female founders will give you a better return on investment than just all male founders. The data is in, so don't bother looking at others. Just look at the female founded businesses. Just go there straight away and you'll be happily rewarded. To the policymakers, I'd ask them to really help build a culture and create the conditions where people can be successful. I don't have an expectation that you need to change the law to do that or be legislators, but you do need to show up, you do need to cheer us on, and you do need to get out of the way when that time comes. And to entrepreneurs, be kind to each other and continue to build the community that you know that will help you thrive. So be that person that you most can be in that community that you belong to. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Moira. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Where could the audience go if they wanted to learn more and connect with you? 
Show us, so you can find me on LinkedIn, Moira Weir, W-E-R-E. Um, you can uh, follow the Hen House Co-op. So just go to the website, henhouse.coop. So Hen House Coop. Um, I'm on Twitter as well. And um, if you want to be in, follow us on Instagram, there's the Hen House Co-op or there's me as well. We'd love to see you. I hope you enjoyed that interview. More interviews are on the way. Follow the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Stay tuned for more interviews with many, many more amazing people from the Australian startup ecosystem. Thanks for listening and see you next time.